to the Icon Church podcast. Icon Church is one church in five locations. Our vision is human flourishing. We pray that this podcast helps you to flourish in life. For any more information about Icon Church, log on to our website at www.icon.church. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Thank you. You may be seated. (laughs) Okay, I hope you're doing all right. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Jeannie. And I, along with Paul, are lead pastors here at Icon Church. My grandson, Zion, loves to play hide and seek. He has got a, a really good ability of finding very good hiding places. So at the moment, his favourite hiding place is to go in my wardrobe where we've got a basket with a lid on that we put our dirty washing in. And when it's empty, he gets in that, closes the lid, well, shuts the door before, closes the lid and hides in there. He also once tricked me because he'd got in the bath and threw towels all over him. And I thought, look at that, Paul's left them towels in bath. And it was Zion under there. But he loves playing hide and seek. We very often play hide and seek with God. It's so easy to feel overlooked and hide. Hide our hurt. But the truth be known, we all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. We all want someone to look us in the eyes and tell us that we matter. That we are important. And if we don't want this, if we find ourselves hiding and running from others more than we stand our ground and speak our minds, it's only because something has happened in our past that we want to hide away from. But hiding in the crowd to remain unseen is not the desire of the human heart, but it's the survival instinct of a broken or hurting heart. For the most part... Within all of us lies a yearning to be seen and heard. Perhaps this is why we're fascinated with social media. And we all do it, don't we? We all put our pictures up. This is where I am. This is what I'm doing. Look at me. There's always one that sees us. No matter what we're doing. No matter if we try and hide. God sees us and he hears us. Not just some of the time but all of the time. And since God doesn't exist in time, he knows us for all time, every minute of our lives. He knows your first breath and your last one and everyone in between. He knows your days, your hours. Nearly did hours instead of hours. And your minutes and your seconds. He not only knows your thoughts, He knows all your mind, the ins and outs of it. He knows it like the back of his hand. You may struggle to remember what you dreamt about last night, but God knows them all. He knows them all by heart. You speak and your words expose your heart. God can quote every word you utter before you even open your mouth because all of your heart is already exposed to him. When we come to God... He gives us clarity. When we surrender our lives to him, we begin to see a life a whole lot better. We see ourselves. 
We see our problems. We see our past, our present and our future. But everything gets a little clearer the closer that you get to God. This evening, I want to talk to you about seeing ourselves through the eyes of God or seeing our life from God's point of view. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are an awesome God. Thank you, Lord, that you see every area of our life. And I pray, Lord, as I bring this word tonight, Lord, that you'll just speak into hearts and lives of people and let them know your thoughts for them. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew 6, verse 22 in the message, it says this, Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open up your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills with light. God is not talking about physical eyes or physical light. He's talking about the way we see things spiritually. He's talking about seeing things in a new way. The Apostle Paul calls it seeing with the eyes of your heart, seeing from God's perspective. In fact, Paul prays this prayer for us in Ephesians. He prays, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope in which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. This evening, as we talk about seeing things from God's point of view, we're going to look at seeing yourself as God sees you. But that's so important because in the Bible, in Proverbs 23, verse 7, it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you see yourself as a loser, you're going to lose a lot in life. If you see yourself as a victim, you're going to let other people victimise you during your life. If you see yourself as not too creative, you'll probably never create much. If you see yourself as a failure in life, you're probably going to fail and do it often. What you see is very often what you get, but God wants you to see things the way he does. The Bible says our beliefs determine our behaviour. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. The way we think determines the, the way we act. And what we see comes out in our lifestyle. Our beliefs determine our behaviour. The problem is, a lot of stuff you believe is just not true. Often we're acting on false or inaccurate information about ourselves. Things that others have said about us. You remember growing up? going to the fairground and the funhouse. You remember those mirrors, those wavy mirrors? And when you look at those funhouse mirrors and you look at your, the image of yourself, is the image clear or is it distorted? It's distorted because it's not a perfect mirror. It's an imperfect mirror. And when you were growing up, people around you were mirrors in your life. They reflected back to you how you began to see yourself. The problem is, there are no perfect people. So as a result, all the images that you got of yourself, even from people who loved you, were distorted images. We all grow up with an inaccurate picture of ourselves because someone has told us something when we were growing up and you think that's got to be right. And you tend to believe it, whether it was right or wrong said in anger, 
said in jest or said in hurtfulness. You internalise that and put it in your memory bank. And you've operated on that false information for years and years. It's just not true or accurate. But we've allowed it to shape our lives and, and to believe. And we believe who it says we are. But I believe tonight that God wants us to start looking at ourselves through his eyes. We've all grown up with these distorted images that we get from parents, teachers and other people. Can some of you remember things that were said over your life 20 or 30 years ago when you were told you're never going to amount to anything? I know I remember people saying that over my life. And you just file it away but you've been acting on that information for far too long. Everybody has wounds. Everybody has emotional scars. There's no one in this room that is exempt. So how do you get rid of them? How do you deal with your past? The way you change that is to learn to see yourself from God's point of view. The truth in this message is one of the most important truths you can learn in your entire life. And if you really grasp what it means to see yourself as God sees you, it'll make a massive difference in your life. Jesus said in John 8, 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So when we learn to see ourselves the way God sees us, it makes all the difference. And this evening, I'm going to give you five things that God says about you. God says, I see you very, very differently than the way you see yourself. And my prayer tonight is, Lord, that today we'll not only see God, but we'll begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us. So how does God see you? Firstly, God says, I see you as acceptable. Titus 3 and verse 7 says, Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. One of the most hurtful things in life is rejection. <coughs> when you're rejected by a parent, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a teacher, when you're rejected by someone, nothing hurts you more. So as a result, we spend most of our lives doing everything we can to avoid rejection. We want acceptance more than anything else in life. We want acceptance from our parents. We want acceptance from our peers. We want acceptance from the people around us. We want acceptance from people we respect and people we envy. And sometimes we even want acceptance from people we don't even like. We buy things we don't need to buy. With money we don't have to impress people we don't even know. Why? Because we can have an obsession to be liked. And if we're not careful, it can drive everything you do in life. It drives the kind of clothes you buy, the kind of car you drive, the kind of house, the career you choose. So many of our decisions in life are really based on this desire of approval. The desire to be accepted, to be recognised, to be significant. People will do the craziest things just to be accepted. Do you remember when you were a kid and somebody would dare you? I dare you to do I dare you to run over there. I dare you to go and knock on someone's door. And you did it because you wanted to be accepted and to be part of the crowd. 
you wanted to be accepted as cool, as hip. I remember doing some really stupid things just to fit in and to be liked by others. And you wanted everybody to like you, so you did really stupid things too, just in order to be accepted. But there's a myth about acceptance, and it's this. If I can just get everybody to think I'm perfect, they will accept me. So we put on this mask, and we walk around like we've got it all together, that everything is fine, and we're really totally balanced, and that we're perfect, and we think everybody is going to accept us. Three things. One, nobody believes it. Nobody believes everything that goes on on Instagram. <laughs> Two, you aren't ever going to be perfect because nobody's perfect. And three, even if you were, you would probably still not be accepted. Because acceptance is not based on how perfect you are. It's based on the other person's maturity and love. The Bible says Jesus was perfect and yet it says he was still despised and rejected by men. Even Jesus was not accepted by everybody, and he was perfect. So even if you were perfect, and you're never going to be perfect, sorry, but that's never going to happen, you would never be accepted by everybody. Because one minute, crowd A will be happy, and the next minute, you try and please crowd B, and they'll be happy, but crowd A won't be happy anymore. You just can't please everybody. Even God can't please everybody. But we want to be accepted and we want to be loved. We want people to see our value. God says, I settled this a long time ago. Back to those verses in Titus, verses 5 to 7. It says, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life, through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you've done it or where you've done it. I don't care how many things you've done wrong in your life. You have an invitation from Jesus tonight to make him Lord of your life. And if you accept that invitation, then God says, you are a good person. He declares as good in his eyes. I don't care how much bad you've done in life. If you've accepted the grace of God, God says, I look at you and I say, she or he is a good person. They are acceptable to me. Not because of my own merit, but because of God's grace. You may have accepted God, and you may have accepted Christ, but do you realise that Christ has accepted you? Many of you, like me, I've done this. Even though I've been a Christian for a long time, I sometimes forget that God has accepted me. In our minds, we're still trying to earn God's favour. We treat him like somebody that we can't always please. You think you're just never good enough for God. You've got to do more. You've got to rush more. You've got to do something to make yourself right before God. But God says, you're good in my eyes because of Jesus. You are acceptable to me. God has already accepted you. He won't accept you any more than today or any less than today. 
because it's based on grace, not on what you can do. Can you remember how you love to be chosen? I remember PE lessons and you go out there and you've got two captains. The teacher says, right, you can be a captain and you can be a captain. Pick your team. And you're thinking, let them pick me, let them pick me, let them pick me. Because you know if you were the first to be, ex- to be picked, you were accepted. You were chosen. But if you were the last, you think nobody likes you. Everybody knows the last person chosen is the one that is most disliked. And you'd be saying, don't let me be the last, Lord. Don't let me be the last. Because it hurts to be rejected. We all want to be chosen. We all want to be selected because it gives you a lot of confidence. Being chosen does a lot for your self-esteem. But look who's chosen you. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, it says, but you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvellous light. And now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. There is no higher authority than that one. God chose you to be his child, to love you and to live with him for eternity. You've been chosen. You're accepted. If you grew up thinking you were never good enough because no matter how hard you tried, you couldn't get approval, I have two things to tell you. One, you didn't get their approval growing up, you're probably never going to get it because it's not about you. It's about them. It's their lack of self-worth that's causing them not to accept you because hurt people hurt people. So it's not really about you. So if they don't give you acceptance growing up, you're probably never, ever going to get it from them. You just have to let it go. Just let it go. And the second thing I need to tell you is that even more important than this, you don't need their approval to be happy. You don't need it. You don't need the approval of other people in order to be happy. There are over 7 billion people in the world. Is it okay that some people don't like you? I would think it is. Especially if it's their hang-up. It's not about you, so let it go. Stop trying to live for the approval of somebody who's never going to give it. Start living for God, who says, I've already accepted you. This should be your attitude. God likes me. I like me. If you don't like me, what's your problem? If God likes me, he knows everything about me, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he still likes me, then I'm okay. Don't try to be a people pleaser. Live for the love and approval of God. God not only sees you and accepts you, but God sees you as valuable. Luke 12, verse 7, and I'm going to read 6 and 7. It says, what is the value of your soul to God? Could your worth be defined by an amount of money? God doesn't abandon or forget the small sparrow he has made. How then could he forget or abandon you? What about the seeming, seemingly minor issues of your life? Do they matter to God? Of course they do. So you never need to worry, for you are more valuable to God 
than anything else in this world. If you're going to learn to, to see yourself the way God sees you, you're going to have to see your value. You're not just accepted, you're worth something. You're worth a lot. The Bible says this in Luke 12, 24. Look at the ravens. They don't plant a harvest or store food in barns. For God feeds them and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. If God takes care of the birds, he's certainly going to take care of you because you are more valuable. <coughs> so let me ask a question. How much do you think you're worth? I'm not talking about net worth. I'm talking about self-worth. Your values have nothing to do with whether you're rich or not. Your net worth and your self-worth are not tied together. If they were, you could lose it all in an instant. What is it that creates value? What makes something valuable? Two things. Firstly, the one who owns it. The owner creates value. If somebody famous and they own something and decide to sell it, it can be worth a whole lot of money. You go to these auctions and they offer stuff that celebrities have had and they're worth a lot. It's more valuable. Are your trainers more valuable or Michael Jordan's trainers? There's no question. Is your car more valuable or the Queen's car? No question in that either. Who owns it determines its value. Whatever your value is depends on whom you belong to. So who do you belong to? 1 John 4 and verse 4 says, Little children, you can be certain that you belong to God and you have conquered them. For the one who is living in you is far greater than the one who is in the world. It doesn't get any bigger than that. You belong to God. He made you. He created you. He died for you. He saved you. You belong to God. Imagine your worth. A couple of years ago, there was a famous QRT. Have I said that right? QRT? QRT, not QRT. QRT. <laughs> Can't read me, I'm writing here. A couple of years ago, there was a famous QRT oil shake whose daughter was kidnapped. He put an announcement over the internet that he said he would pay any price. And he said, this was the reason. She's the daughter of the king. Well, tonight I want to tell you, you are sons and daughters of the king. You are a child of God and he will pay anything, including sending Jesus to the cross to get you back. God loves you so much that he was willing to send Jesus to die for you rather than live without you. He not only owns you, but the second thing that creates value is what is somebody willing to pay for it? How much is your house worth? Probably not what you think. It's really worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Let's say I've got a rare painting. How much is it worth? It's worth whatever somebody will give me for it. Look at how much was paid for you. In 1 Corinthians 7 verse 23, says, Since a great price was paid for your redemption, stop having the mindset of a slave. The greatest ransom ever paid was paid for you. God exchanged his own son for you. Even if you were the only person who ever lived in the world, Jesus still would have come to earth and died for you. That's how much value he considers you to be. 
God says you're acceptable, you are valuable. The cross proves your value. The people who told you that you're worthless were liars. They were wrong. You are of great value. If God says you're of value, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Isaiah 43 and verse 4 says, Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honoured and I love you. God says in his eyes, you are valuable, you are acceptable. And the next thing is, you are lovable. God sees me and you, not just acceptable and valuable, but lovable, with a deep, deep love. The most famous verse in the Bible talks about this. In John 3, verse 16, it says, For this is how much God loved the world, that he gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. In the NIV version, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God so loved the world. It doesn't say, God so loved people that are beautiful. God so loved people who are intelligent. It doesn't say, God so loved people who are cool. It doesn't say, God so loved people who are religious. It doesn't say, God so loved people who are perfect, because there aren't any. It says, God so loved the world. That includes you, and that includes me. And that's everybody in this world. Everybody that the world considers unlovable. God so loved the world and everybody in it because he made them all. God sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. He didn't have to, to do that, but he chose to do that. He did it so that he didn't have to live without you. That's the kind of love that God has for you. Isaiah 54 verse 10 says, For the mountains may move and the hills disappear. Even then, my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. There are two characteristics of God's love that you need to never, ever forget. God's love is consistent. God is not fickle. He's not erratic. He doesn't have good days and bad days and good moods and bad moods and bad air days and say, I don't like everybody today. God is consistent in his loving. He never stops loving. It's, all, it's different than human loving. All human love is inconsistent. So sometimes I think, I don't like anybody today. Just get up in one of those moods. Have you ever done that? But God is never like that. His love is consistent. And the next thing is, his love is unconditional. God doesn't say, I love you if here are all the conditions. Or I love you because, and here are all the conditions. It just says, I love you, period. Because it's not based on your performance. It's based on his character. It just says, I love you. You're mine. I made you. I saved you. I bought you. I want you with me for eternity. You wouldn't exist if it weren't for God's love. You never need to ask yourself, is God going to love me today? Did I pray enough today? Did I do all the right things? Did I cross the T's and dot the I's? God will never, ever love you more than he does right now. He will never love you any less than he does right now. Because his love is consistent and unconditional.
There's a fourth way that God sees you. And God sees you as forgivable. Proverbs 5 verse 21 says, For God sees everything you do and his eyes are wide open as he observes every single habit you have. That word forgive can be so easy in church circles. We hear it a lot. It's very easy to pass right by it. We don't realise how forgiven we really are. Ephesians 1.4 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. What an incredible verse that tells us how forgiven we are by God's love and what he's willing to do in us. Before God made you, he knew everything you were going to do in life. He knew all the mistakes, all the sins. He knew the worst things you were going to do. There is one thing you'll never hear God say, and that is, I didn't see that one coming. You'll never hear that. He sees it all. And God who sees it all in advance says, I'm willing to forgive you, no matter what. No matter what, I'll forgive you. That's good news. Once we start that relationship with Jesus, our sins are wiped out. They're erased. And that is what God's grace is all about. It's such a great gift. But sometimes we're, we find it tough receiving it. God doesn't carry grudges. You might, and I might, but God doesn't. He doesn't hold grudges at all. Romans 8 verse 1 says, Now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life, union with Jesus, the anointed one. God is not sitting up in heaven, rehearsing your sins, looking at them again and again on his own personal master Snapchat account. He's erased them. They've gone. He doesn't rehearse them. But there's a fifth thing and the final way that God sees you and the band are going to come back. God sees you as capable. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 5 and 6. says, yet we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength. For our true competence flows from God's empowering presence. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills but the spirit pours out life. There's an epidemic of low self-esteem. One study shows that it's the number one problem amongst women. Why is that? Why can't we escape that sense of insecurity? I know sometimes I get really insecure. Remember when I talked about how we replay what people have said about us in our minds over and over again? As we continue to replace those old tapes in our memory of what people have said. We still live by those, those words that were said over us 10, 20 years later. Studies show that the younger you were rejected, the greater an impact it has on your life. I'm sure that there are many of us today that have heard words like, you don't matter, you're a failure, you'll never amount to anything, you can't do anything right. How do you reverse those feelings? the feelings that those words have scarred you with. You do it by building your life up on positive. You begin to focus instead on the truth, the truth that God says about you. You start affirming the truth. 
you start believing what God says about you. And God says, you are capable. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what you think. God says, you are capable. He has created you for a purpose. He has a purpose in your life. In fact, there are two reasons why every one of us is capable. We're all capable because we have God's word for insight and for wisdom. What a gift God has given us in his book, the Bible. It's given to help us live the kind of life that he wants us to live, to make us capable to live that life. It's an incredible gift, but he's given us an even bigger gift than that. He has given us himself or his Holy Spirit to make us capable. You may have heard about people you may have heard people say that God sends his spirit to us when we trust him. What does that mean? That means that God sends his Holy Spirit to live within us. He gives us that spirit to give us strength, ability and insight. He is willing to come into our lives and that's how much he loves us. Philippians 4:13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, through God's word, through God himself, you are capable. Psychologists say that your self-worth, the way you see yourself, is largely determined by what you think the most important person thinks about your life and thinks about you. If that's true, I want to highly recommend that you make Jesus the most important person in your life. Because in Jesus, he says you are valuable, you are acceptable, you are forgivable, you are lovable, and you are capable. It really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. Who are you going to believe tonight, church? I think we need to believe God. We don't need to believe those funhouse mirrors. And the bigger question is, who are you going to live for? The approval of other people or the approval of God? Will you live for people who says that you'll never amount to anything? Or will you live for God the rest of your life? A God who says that you are lovable, valuable, capable, forgivable and acceptable. I just want to pray for you tonight, church. Lord, I thank you that you say that we are acceptable, forgivable, lovable and all those things that we are capable in your eyes. And Lord, I pray that you'll just make us real. Make it real in us, Lord, that we will see ourselves the way you see us. That we will see those things that you see in us. And Lord, I just pray that you will just help us and guide us day by day to live the way that you want us to live. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Icon Church. If you'd like any more information about Icon Church, log on to our website at www.icon.church. Have the best week.